0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us interviews and stories love taking you back to when it all went down the greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound it's concerts concerts that made us concerts that made us.com
1: this is september's highlights if you missed any of the great episodes throughout the month of september well this episode is for you so sit back relax and Let's get on with the show. and Mark, you're very welcome to concerts that made us. Thank you. It's great to have you guys. Now, we kicked off the show with your song Forever. I mean, is there a more perfect heavy metal song than that? I mean, it has everything. Would you like to tell us a bit about it?
2: Well, I think it's uh, one of those things where I tend to write a lot from the perspective of, depending on where the listener's at, in their time or in life they can be the lyrics can be kind of taken several different ways so i kind of write from a general perspective and depending on the person they can kind of insert their life into that you know so obviously a lot of things going on uh in the world uh you know good and bad you know so that kind of dials into that a bit um you know we tried to have a song that was uh you know, kind of tipping the hat at some of some of the classic songs, you know, with the opening kind of scream is a little bit reminiscent tip of the hat to a little deep purple kind of. But, you know, there's only one Ian Gillen, of course. But, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just a it's a it's a strange world right now. There's a lot going on and how we deal with that and kind of unpack those things and move forward is uh, up to each one of us. But
3: on the the music side, uh, you know, most of our songs, we try to to inject a little bit of dynamics. Uh, end of the song so you know there's a a few changes where you've got kind of a driving riff and then it kind of bounces a little and then it's got something a little more uh, uh, melodic here and there so it's uh, you know we try to mix things up a little bit uh, it just kind of comes out of us naturally I'm not really sure how to describe it so
1: good 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 it's from your latest release but that's actually a reworking of your first album would you like to tell us a bit about that
3: yeah, I think that uh, that one, uh, we were actually writing our second album, and we were thinking about the first, and we were like, man, that was just not a great representation, because we did it ourselves, basically at home, uh, and and recorded it sort of separately. So we decided that it would be a better representation if we could all get in the same room, record it like you do a real album. Uh, so we went to London Bridge Studios in Seattle, which is kind of an iconic studio that uh, bands like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and uh, Alice in Chains all recorded at. Um, and then we had a, had it produced by Matt Hyde. Uh, and Matt Hyde's uh, uh, acquaintance of Chad's down in L.A., but he's, uh, he's a fairly well-known, actually, Grammy-winning producer uh, that's worked with Slayer and Hatebreed and Deftones and bands like that. So... We were very fortunate to get all that pulled together and we're very excited about the way it sounds and we're very happy with how it represents our music.
2: And that's kind of where we got the, you know, we took, actually it was uh, one of our friends that's helping right now too with the uh, promotion and some of the social media stuff was Samsara was kind of her idea. Remember, and um, when Aaron kind of brought that up, because we were trying to come up with well, what do we want to call this thing? Because we don't want to necessarily just re-release the same title and confuse people, uh, but we need to kind of give it kind of some kind of a dif- you know, differentiation. So uh, we decided, Samsara, which is in Buddhism, is kind of the uh, you know rebirth and new cycle. You know, so Trail of Souls, you know, Samsara Trail of Souls, with a new cover artwork that um, another acquaintance of mine, a friend uh, from Seattle area in Portland oregon justin hampton who's a pretty well-known concert uh, poster artist that's done a lot of stuff for you know soundgarden tool mastodon and you know some of these you know nice cool bands so his um artwork really helped kind of kick this thing off to in a different direction
1: you still have the original album up was there any thoughts of maybe taking that one down and just leaving the newer version up
3: yeah that, you know that was our initial thought um but you know there's uh I don't know, we got talked out of it basically by Erin, so you can ask her that question probably. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, in this day of uh, the way that algorithms work and everything, the the basic thought was if we take that down, we're starting from zero again. And so it was left up there. I don't know if it'll stay up forever, but who knows, it may. But that's that's kind of what the we're living in this new digital age and the way that mu- the music business works. Um, we were convinced that we should leave it up. I think it's kind of
1: sad to say nowadays that music is kind of almost entirely based around algorithms these days.
3: That's very sad, quite honestly. (laughs) It's very sad. Especially when you're kind of an old school sort of band that's not really, you know, we're not kind of built for that impact where you release a, a single every month or something like that. You know, we're... You know, metal bands and and old hard rock bands always were very album based. Um, and the way that the, the music business works now is it's very singles based. And it doesn't really suit how we like to do things. We like to do albums.
2: It's kind of gone back to where, you know, we kind of got in the 40s and 50s where it was about the single, but the single then was the 45. You know, they would just put out their 45 and our single today is now streaming or the MP3. So it's interesting how it's kind of cycled back to.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. It's gone full circle almost. Strange, strange. Like I want an album. I like to put the thing on and listen from track one to, you know, however many there are. It's yeah. just how I listen to records. Yeah, exactly. Personally,
1: I, I love listening to albums in the car. You know, I hate putting on something that's only two or three songs. You know, you want that longevity for a good long car trip.
2: Yeah, totally.
3: Yeah, you know, then you always end up skipping songs. And you're like, I don't want to hear that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you put on an album, you like, you know what you're going to get.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's a term that I haven't come across before, but when researching you guys, I came across it. The new wave of traditional heavy metal. Would you guys like to tell us a bit about it?
3: I I think uh, we kind of we we stumbled across that ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that thing where everything needs a label, it seems. And we didn't really know what to call ourselves because we're really more of a classic metal band. You know, we don't really uh, even fit in that category, um, <laughs> although it tends to be the one that we get most pigeonholed in. To us, we're, we're more like, a, you know, the, the late 70s, early 80s type of metal. Um, a lot of the new wave, of traditional heavy metal bands actually are more thrashy than we are. Um, but somehow we kind of get stuck in that. And we're we're not sure we're all that comfortable with it, honestly.
1: Really? And um, you mentioned Pigeonhole there. Being a, a metal band, are you afraid that you will kind of get pigeonholed into that kind of, oh, these guys are, you know, trying to emulate bands from the 70s?
3: Um, I'll answer that one too. Uh, you know, I guess we could worry about it. Um, but it's kind of who we are. So I don't think there's much we can do about it. You know, it's uh, the music that comes out of this is what what comes out of us. Uh, we all have very different backgrounds uh, musically. Um, you'd be surprised how diverse we are, actually, uh, in our backgrounds. But um, hopefully that comes across some of the music. And, yeah, you know, trying to, to put a fresh face on something that feels familiar is not all that easy. Uh, but at the same time, we kind of like the familiar, you know, and that's kind of where we are where we sit.
2: Everyone has to point a finger at something and go, what What do they sound like? They sound like this, you know, so I'd rather at least have it be in the right category than, you know, some, you know. The thing about metal or any musical genre really is there's these days there's so many subcategories and sub subcategories that, you know, at the end of the day, you got your metal at the top here or whatever. And then however many arms go out from there. And it's like, you know. Who knows? You know, but one of the, you know, and whether or not it's called a throwback or just, you know, something new, it's like, it's got that. I think because of our DNA and our exposure to music growing up, it's got that hardwired sound that is who we are. Yet, so there's the familiarity, but then yet I think there's a little bit of a fresh spin on it as well. And on the classic rock side, I think someone that's done a really good job of that, which has been one of my favorite bands to come out in, you know, a long time. And they're by far not a new band, but uh, Rival Sons who's, you know, from LA, you know, you could swear to God, they ripped songs, you know, certain riffs right out of Led Zeppelin's, you know, catalog, but you know what? So did Led Zeppelin. They did did the same thing, you know, but...
1: you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us.
4: Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today.
1: It's great to have you. It's great to have you now. We just kicked off the episode with your single, Still a Child. Would you like to tell us about it?
4: I would love to. So this song is very near and dear to my heart because it's very personal and it's kind of about connecting with your inner child and just, you know, I guess kind of the loss of innocence to a point, right, where we all start out as this kind of hopeful child with just a bright, bright eyed, bushy tailed, I guess you could say. And then life happens, you know, I think everybody has their storms that they weather. And so I really wanted to kind of capture that in this that, um, you know, we're all just still kids at heart doing the best we can to weather the storms of life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love the whole concept of the song though, because I often think to myself, you know, you think back to when you're a child and it's hard to pinpoint the, the moment when you lost that kind of childhood innocence, you know, and that kind of you know, when you're a child you're dreaming about what you're going to be when you grow up and you have this the world seems so magical almost. It's hard yeah. to know when you lose that when you transition into an adult.
4: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I think I saw a a quote or a post or something one time that was like, One day you went out and played with your friends for the last time. Yeah. And that just broke my heart. <laughs> I was like, That's so sad. <laughs> because I know for me, like, I would go out, you know, riding bikes or just kind of playing with the neighborhood boys, and you go to the park, and like, it's crazy to think, Yeah, one day that did just stop. But I also think that, you know, it, it, I think it kind of ebbs and flows for me, you know just having that kind of hope and that kind of excitement for the future. I think life, the way I view it is kind of like a Ferris wheel. You know, we all go through these cycles and it's always moving, you know, it's always going to go up or down again. And so I think that just kind of learning to embrace that cycle has helped me just go, you know what, it's okay. It'll always either get better or if it's great, I need to anticipate that things might get hard again. And that's just life, but um Yeah, that's an interesting concept. When did we lose our (laughs) (laughs) child-like
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. And the song is kind of extra personal for you. There's 12 little voices on the song as well. Would you like to share a bit about that?
4: Oh my gosh, yes. So I have nieces and nephews from all of my siblings. I'm the youngest of five kids, if you would believe it. And all of my siblings have kids. And when I was writing this song, I just thought, how special would it be if I could incorporate actual children's voices? And then I was like, oh, I have 12 nieces and nephews. (laughs) So I sent a message out to all of my siblings. I asked them if they'd be willing to kind of participate in this project and they just recorded on their phones with voice memos and I gave them instructions and they um, sent back the vocals I was dying at how cute they were and then we kind of went in and layered them and made a little chorus and um, it's just it it really brings out I think that childlike innocence like you were saying
1: definitely definitely and how did they react to hearing their voices on the the track
4: oh my gosh so they have been showing their friends, and um, one one of my nephews in particular, he's four years old, and he was hearing a part of the song that I was singing, and he was telling my sister, he was like, "Oh, that's me! I'm singing! I'm famous!" <laughs> and I, I think that in their childlike minds, they think that like you know they've made it now, which is so adorable. Um, but but I've even had like my my niece who is in middle school, you know, she. Ended up showing it to her friends, and I think it's really a sense of accomplishment for them. And I, I do hope that it kind of shows them and inspires them that they can do whatever they want, you know, as they grow up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really cool and such a nice thing for you to do as well. You know, even when they grow up, they'll be able to look back on it and say, "Oh my God, I done this when I was a child." You know, it's going to be there yeah. forever.
4: Yeah, it's a good kind of diary, like a stamp in time. It's it's cute.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And children are something that's, well, helping children is something that's close to your heart, isn't it? You set up a a charity, Feed the Soul.
4: Yeah, so I'm doing a benefit tour that I'm calling Feed the Soul, because that's really my mission with music is to make music that doesn't just merely entertain. I mean, that's great, but I really want my music to feed people's souls, to connect. I think that's what music is all about. So I've started this virtual live stream concert series where I'm partnering with various organizations to raise money for the hunger crisis. And I actually just did one with No Kid Hungry. I figured it would be really fitting given that Still a Child just came out to partner with an organization focused on childhood hunger in America. And what's crazy is that I grew up watching commercials about just like, hey, donate to this organization to help, you know, hunger in another country somewhere. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, right where I grew up, you know, there are, I want to say like 6 million um, children specifically that could go hungry in in any given year. And it just, you know, it kind of breaks your heart to think about these kids. So um, I was able to do a live stream for No Kid Hungry and we raised some money. It was so such an honor to partner with them. And I will be continuing to partner with other organizations um, throughout the coming months. So stay tuned on my socials. I'm excited to continue to announce those and and partner with these great organizations.
0: Brilliant,
1: brilliant. That's really admirable now that you'd actually do that. But it's funny you said that um, when you were you know, younger, you seen these ads. We have those as well. And you made me just think of something. It seems to be all countries are more concerned with helping other countries before they help their own, you know, because we have that problem as well. There's so many homeless and homeless children in Ireland and the Mm. government are sending millions, you know, to other countries, you know, it's uh, a bit messed up.
4: Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, I think that, I think people generally mean well, you know, but but I think sometimes it's the small ways that are the most impactful. And people automatically think, oh, if I go do a, a trip to, you know, have a service trip somewhere across the world, it makes them feel important. And there is important work being done. I don't want to minimize that. I think it is great and wonderful. However, I think you're right, we often overlook the problems that are happening right where we are in our own lives, in our own cities, in our own countries. And Um, You know, I I moved to LA about a year ago now, and I think being here in a big city where I can see the homelessness and I can see the struggle, like really right across the street, you know, there's someone that's sleeping on the ground and then there's an insane expensive car that drives right by them and there's just such a divide. And so I think that also has kind of been pivotal for me to see it a little bit more firsthand to go, wow. There's a lot going on right now, but what I will say about these organizations I'm working with is they have real solutions, which is really cool. And I think like the hunger crisis is something we have solutions to, and we know how to respond to it. It's just a matter of getting the resources and activating the people. So that also is um, reassuring, right? <laughs> that we, exactly. we can have the tools to address it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I can't wait to see what you do with it now in the future. And back to still a child. What was the process like from, you know, coming up with the concept of it to writing it, recording it and releasing it?
4: I love this question because it's a fun story. So my sister had sent me a video that I took of myself. She was like cleaning out her computer and she just emailed like, hey, I found this. And I don't think I even really opened her email for months. And then I was just kind of going through my inbox and I was like, oh, what's this? Why didn't I open this? Open it up. It's a video of myself literally singing to the camera, (laughs) and just I could see all of my young insecurities like all over my face. But I also really related to that girl. In fact, um, on my YouTube channel, you can go see the actual video. I have kind of a clip of it up there. (laughs) So if you're curious, um, but that kind of inspired this idea of like looking back and reflecting on home videos in particular. And I don't know if you're this way, but for me, like, I grew up watching home videos of my family and of myself. And anytime anyone pulls those out, like it just gives you this very specific feeling. And I wanted to kind of capture that. So then, you know, as we went into the writing process, I was really reflecting on kind of my childhood and these home videos. Um, And then it, it kind of came out pretty naturally, you know, just through the writing process. And usually I am very much focused on the verses, like, in terms of a songwriter, I can write verses all day long, (laughs) but it takes time for the chorus to kind of come to me. So I had the verses done and I was trying to figure out what was like the point, what was the concept. And when still a child came to me, I was like, that's it. Like, this is it. So once we had that, um, the rest of the process was pretty seamless. And it was so exciting, you know, hearing the first versions and demos of this song because I would just be dancing in the studio just, like, so thrilled and excited.
0: Fucking
5: baby, to get through you. What the fuck do you do to me? To me, I loved you. Now my mother always says to me, How could you? I let my heart waste away, waste away all for you.
1: kingsley you're very welcome to concerts that made us
6: yay thank you for having me
1: it's brilliant to have you i'm delighted to have you now i've been listening to your music quite a bit and i absolutely love it we opened the show with therapy would you like to tell us a bit about it
6: yeah therapy is such a near and dear song to my heart um obviously i wrote it when i was in therapy (laughs) naturally (laughs) Um, and it was really like this anger reflection song of like this guy literally making me go to therapy to like fix our relationship. It turns out I had to fix a lot of things about myself, but that is irrelevant. <laughs> but going to therapy originally because he made me feel crazy. Um, and it is such a heartfelt song and it's uh just so emotional. And it literally the opening line is damn, I need some fucking therapy, like period. So <laughs> we all can relate to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a uh... It's from your debut album, which you released at the end of 2021, Crying on the Holidays. What was that process like? It must have been very exciting.
6: Yeah, it, um, well, recording it in 2020 was a little crazy, um, but we've figured it out. We worked it out. Um, It really, Crying on Holidays, takes you from start to finish of my very first heartbreak. And so the album is meant to listen in order, it's not meant to skip. Um, And while I was writing it, I didn't know what songs were going to make it on the album. I didn't know what the album was going to be called. I was just writing about what was happening in real time because that's the way that I process things, um, as a natural songwriter, my mom calls it Taylor Swifting it up, man. You Taylor Swift it up. Um, and so when, when this idea came together to release crying on holidays, because every holiday this boy and I would fight about whatever, and I would be crying. Um, the idea of walking it through my first heartbreak, um, truly came from me trying to understand what I went through I'd never been in love I didn't believe in love and I fell in love and I got my heart broken and I'm like what is wrong with the world <laughs> um so yeah it's an incredible project that is near and dear to my heart
1: it must have been um, almost like therapy itself putting so much of your own story into the songs it must have been like a, a massive relief almost
6: now it is. Now I listen back and I'm like, oh my god, you were. You should have broke up with him long ago. I can't believe you <laughs> just kept writing more songs. Like, what's happening? <laughs> um, but now, in hindsight, I'm very thankful that I had the ability to process it and emote in in a way that felt good for me and wasn't destructive. And now, other people can can maybe process and, and feel things that they don't have actual words for in my song.
1: I get you, I getcha. and. What are you going to do if you have no more heartbreak?
6: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my next project is not written about a person. It's literally this like fun, sexy, flirtatious. It's like the next side. Um, And I totally stole it from Dua Lipa. She did an interview with the Rolling Stones and she was talking about her project actually wasn't about a person. It was about her manifesting this person. And when she finished the project, it worked. So I'm waiting to see if that happens for me. (laughs) I don't want to know, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to write about heartbreak anymore at the moment. I just, I just want to feel good and and love, love and yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Put that energy out into the world and it come back,
6: you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're based in Portland. What's the music scene like in Portland? Is it uh, full of competition?
6: Um, if I say yes, they'll call me humble. No, Um, it's really not. There's not a lot of pop. And if you like to talk as much as I do and smile and you're social, you'll do really well. Um, So I had such a humble experience. I actually moved out of Portland a week ago because I'm moving to London. I'm in Chicago right now, staying at my parents' house. Um, and in the six years of time, I had this incredible experience. I got to open up for people that I don't think I ever would have gotten a chance to open up for in Chicago because Chicago is such a big city. Um, I've gotten to play random festivals that I, I'm like, ah, why am I here? Not why am I here? But oh my gosh, you know, you got to (laughs) work a little bit harder. I thought, um, and And really incubate and curate who I am as an artist and with a forgiving crowd, like you can make so many mistakes on Portland stage and they love you even harder. So like, I got to try out a lot of things with my stage presence with my banter uh, my top came off at one of the shows. I didn't feel embarrassed, you know. It just broke, and that's what happens. And my titties are out, and someone's <laughs> <Portland's> like, "Yeah!" <laughs> so I had such an incredible and a unique experience, and I'm I'm really thankful. Some way, somehow, I ended up in Portland and got to push off and be Kingsley.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a a great place to start. Anyway, now I love diving into my guests' history and find out how they got where they are. But before we do that, I noticed your merch game is on point. I don't think there's anybody that has merch like you. Can you tell us a bit about it?
6: I'm so crazy. I and I don't know where these ideas come from. I'm I. I mean, I went to school for a business, but I don't know. It's just like this is just who I am. Um, I really 2020 was such a crazy year of like reflecting on what um, what I was and who I was without a stage and how i connect with people without a stage. and so when <laughs> crying on holidays was coming out i ended up meeting up with a local black owned makeup company and she was like i'll make you one lipstick for your album so when it comes out you can help promote my my makeup line and your album. well that turned into three different lipsticks that were embodied as three different singles that went out. so each single had a lipstick and then when my album came out we kept growing the collection and some of the new uh products are named for future songs that are coming out. Ah. Um, So it's not even like a lipstick line, like Selena Gomez and Rihanna, they have a makeup line, right? This makeup line specifically embodies my music. So when you put on this lipstick, it's supposed to feel and sound like this song, right? Yeah. Um, And then for the marketing part of it, like the music videos, I got to have the lipsticks as cameos in there. So it was just like (laughs) another level. And then um, the recipe book that I have for crying on holidays, the book is called Drinking on Holidays. That originally came from my Kickstarter. So when I had my Kickstarter in February of 2020, before the world shut down, We were going to do one of the tiers as a listening party where me and my producer would like share uh, cocktails and and drink and listen to the the, um, album because we do that together. So we were like, we should do it with a crowd, like a listening party. So when COVID happened and we couldn't have the listening party, I'm like, I still want to do that. but how could I do it? So I made this recipe book where each song on my album pairs with a cocktail that I believe the song sounds like, sounds like, feels like, drinks like. When you're drunk, <laughs> listening to therapy, you should have an audios motherfucker. Like, that's the um, and that turned into such a crazy experience that I even got to like write in the recipe book, my favorite song lyric. Fun facts about it, and then that spun into interviewing, doing a podcast with the book, where each episode I would drink the drink and listen to the song, and like if the like get to work with my friend, it was just awesome. I've just had such a crazy experience, and from there we just got even crazier with like shot glasses. I love to drink. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just humbled and honored, and this next project's merch is going to be even cooler and even doper, and I just love it. There's so many ways to connect. People to your music outside of just being on the stage.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's crazy though. That's really thinking outside the box. Like who comes up with the idea of like a recipe book linked to an album?
0: Yeah. Oh, fair play
1: to you for coming up with the idea. Oh man. So we'll I mentioned a few minutes ago, we'll dive into your history a bit. Can you remember your very first musical memory?
6: Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. Um and I, I've only said this once in an interview, so this is really hilarious. Um, I had a crush on this guy, Alex Jado in kindergarten, and I, I remember and like writing a song and I remember the lyrics. I was like, Alex Jado just like Plato, because his skin was like this play y color. Um, yes. and, oh, how I can't hide my feelings inside. Like I specifically remember like singing it in my head thinking like, if I sing this to him. I'll win him over kind of a thing. I never did it. But that's like my first experience that I have with myself of like feeling something and making something from it. And from that point on, if nothing made sense, I really just put it in a song.
1: That's that's amazing, though, that at that age, you were able to actually come up with lyrics like that and just Parable the thought weird. process, of, <laughs> <laughs> the thought process of uh, putting it into a song. Yeah, it's
6: good yeah. to see you haven't lost it. Oh, yeah, I just so um, a couple days ago, I was unpacking my stuff. And I found my songbook from 2017. And I'm like going through it drunk with my mom. And I'm like, what I notice about myself is I could never spell could never do it. But these are some good words. (laughs) And that has not changed since kindergarten to now.
1: very welcome to Concerts That Made Us.
7: Hey, how you doing,
8: man? Glad to be here.
1: I'm good, I'm good. I'm delighted to be speaking with you guys now today. We kicked off the episode with your latest release, Black Widow. Would you like to tell us about it?
8: Hell yeah. Yeah, so um, it's the first of some upcoming songs that we're coming out with. Uh, It's a lot more aggressive than stuff that we've made in the past. And uh, yeah, it kind of tells a story of, taking in on people who are kind of creeping on women you know so it's kind of like an empowering song and also a brutal song uh but uh yeah heavy heavy guitar looks on that one yeah it's uh first time we've busted out and i i know that it's kind of a cliche but it's first time we bust out a seven string guitar uh with music that we played not that you need one to make it heavy or seven strings heavy you know rob scallon made one of the most beautiful songs an eight string guitar
7: uh distortion it was, it was, fun. It yeah. was fun yeah fun yeah yeah try it out try something try something different you
1: know yeah exactly exactly something i noticed now is that it's like a breath of fresh air you know it starts off and you're kind of expecting one thing and then as it moves on you're like oh man this is actually brilliant it's you know it's not like anything you've heard before it's real sort of like i said a a breath of fresh
8: air
7: Nice. Well, yeah. thank you.
8: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we yeah, definitely... it, it
7: felt, uh, sorry, I'm going to take over. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it felt like that uh, writing. We, we just finished uh, Transcendence, which is our last album. And we were, like, stuck in the studio, all of COVID, just writing those songs. And to come out of that and to start writing seven string, heavy, aggressive, it was like, oh, cool. Like, we're still being creative right now. So it's a good way to, like, kind of keep going, but not writing the same thing.
8: Plus, I definitely myself, at least I definitely try to not put myself in a box or like think of something to make before I go. I like, oh, I want to make a song that's like this kind of metal in particular, this genre. We really try to stay unique and just kind of not confine ourselves to like a particular sound or a genre, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job of that. And how has the reception been from fans?
7: Uh, Pretty good so far. A lot lot of people uh, on the opening day and then the the whole weekend's been pretty good. A lot of the comments are positive. Uh, They like the artistic nature of the video. Um, And people just like, uh, you know, a woman killing a bunch of creepy men apparently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I never would have guessed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And, you know, you guys, it seems kind of, well, obviously now killing a lot of men isn't autobiographical, but... You seem like you want to help people through your music, you know, help them through issues that they might be facing.
7: Yeah, a lot of that's actually from Audrey specifically. Um, she's had a lot of uh, family members go through a lot of uh, like mental illness and like a lot of personal like drama and stuff that affects their lives. So when we write in the studio, we're kind of writing based on how we feel or what we want to project And when she comes in, she kind of takes this like spin on things. And a lot of it is geared towards like, I'm writing with a purpose. I'm not just writing to be an egotistical rock star.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If only more bands were like that, huh? Yeah. And, you know, something as well, I have to ask, what's it like having, you know, a female lead singer? Normally, you don't see it too often. You know, it's great now but you don't see too often normally it's like four guys but i think uh, back to the whole breath of fresh air thing it's cool that you do have a a female lead singer what's it? what's it like
8: i mean i can't really i don't really feel like it's that different for me at least like i just know for me my perspective of this whole band is that these are three of my best friends and i just enjoy playing music with them you know um definitely I, i feel like a lot of people try to put us into the box like oh you're female fronted i'm like well you know yeah yes, female no.
7: fronted's not a genre you know like <laughs> you know but uh, yeah i mean i yeah i mean i agree like it, it's it's kind of normal um i mean i've been in a female fronted band for quite a while because um, her and i were in a different project like way before this couple projects ago so i kind of like the uniqueness um, when i started getting into playing music like playing out in bars and shows and stuff nobody else was really doing it unless you were paramour You know what I mean? Because Evanescence wasn't around touring anymore. A lot of the big uh, female bands weren't really like active. You had like In This Moment and Paramore and that was like female bands. You know what I mean? Um, So to me, it was kind of like a uniqueness approach. Like I want to do something different. Like every guy can scream. Every guy can do this. Like I want to do something different, you know, put some power into it, some uh, passion. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it seems, I mean, it's kind of just normal for us, you know, just kind of, kind of vibing.
1: Yeah, I get that. I get that. And What was the process then from coming up with Black Widow to recording it to release? And what was the process like?
7: So um, we got a huge opportunity in what year was it? Was it 21? 21, yeah, last year. So, yeah, I don't even know what timeline (laughs) (laughs) runs. We got a huge opportunity in October of 21. So this is before our album came out because our album was set to release for November. So those songs are already done, queued up to be released. We got a huge opportunity to play. Uh, I'm sorry to uh, record with Justin from Miss May I. So that kind of geared us to like want to like prove ourselves, want to push ourselves in a direction because we're going to be in front of this guy who's been all over the place, uh, genre wise, production wise, show wise. So we were like, let's push ourselves to like match that quality.
8: Yeah, he also was a, a good influence on us because, like, basically we. You know, he's kind of poking with the cattle prodder. Yeah. Like, Come on, write songs. You can do it. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we we wrote like, I want to say like eight or... I think it was eight. Like yeah. eight songs. Yeah, and we settled on five. Yeah. So then we took the best five that, you know, that we all liked, including Justin. And then, uh, you know, we went out to Ohio to reface studios and then, you know, he kind of well you know he tracked us he recorded us he did all the production on everything uh he changed some stuff gave some like ideas for stuff so it was a really good collaborative effort he's a wonderful person to work with very kind very knowledgeable you know learned a lot while we were there yeah Um,
7: a lot of tracking techniques that we're we're doing in our studio now so it was awesome
1: Uh, yeah i was gonna ask you know you often hear these stories of bands getting paired with like this legendary producer and it seems like it would be incredibly intimidating you know, I was going to ask, what was it actually like, you know, going there and working with him as a person?
8: I mean, for me, I know this sounds I, I'm I'll just admit this right now. If I haven't before, I'm very ignorant when it comes to like a lot of music and a lot of bands. Like, I honestly hadn't listened to Miss May I before I met him. So I didn't really have that like, you know, like, oh, I'm standing next to this Titan. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah. this is a dude for me, at least personally. Um But, uh, you know, just as a person, you know, he's really kind, very knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, he has his particular way of doing things. And I definitely learned a lot by watching his process and how he does stuff. Um,
7: Yeah, yeah. I think it was a little nerve wracking at first, just because like, like I was a huge fan of Miss He like, like that band got me into like metalcore when I was younger. Like I started playing, I started covering their music and stuff like that. So it was a little nerve wracking because you're like, oh, I'm going up against this dude who like is going to want to push me who's going to want to like metaphorically like slap me around and be like play better you know but I mean once you get past that like like I said he's a sweetheart he's like a goofy dude once you met him I was like oh this is chill like now we're having fun and like it was like hanging out with him I mean every day uh, we went out and got food with him we were hanging around Ohio which is a state we've never been to before so it was kind of like a fun way to just like be creative but also like get down and work, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I suppose it just goes to show, you know, no matter how big or how legendary you are, you're still a person and you still like the same things as everyone else, you know?
8: It's just great. It's just cool to meet people who like, don't let their fame or their fortune, yeah like get them to be like egotistical
7: yeah because we we've had it the other way around we're not going to mention any names but we've had it the other way around where someone's like do you know who i am you know who i am and we're like no i don't people <laughs> uh,
8: although i will say people that aren't as high up on the ladder yeah you
7: know, yeah like they're not they don't have that status it, it's
8: one. weird like people are great right, like that are like in that middle ground tend to have like the most ego i've seen personally i, I
1: was just going to say it yeah it's always those guys who was like i think maybe subconsciously they're trying to prove themselves or something or to feel like they should be more recognized but it's always the guys then at the top that are absolute sweethearts you know be interesting to see at what stage that kind of you lose that kind of assholey and become nice
8: yeah i wonder uh i mean i I won't say that like everyone at the top is the nice but at least you know at least the ones that we've come in contact with have been good so far so you know
1: rich you're very welcome to concerts that made us Thank
9: you very much. Yeah, it's good to be here.
1: I'm a big fan, so thank you. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm I'm glad you uh, you're enjoying the show, anyway. And it's great to have you here and chat about your musical interests and concerts for the next bit. Yeah. So before we get into that, now I want to introduce my listeners to your podcast, Chew the Metal. It's a it's a pretty entertaining podcast as well, and. As we've mentioned before, there's a bit of crossover with my one. You know, I think uh anyone that's a fan of mine will definitely be a fan of yours. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Yeah, thank
9: you. Yeah. Um <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's called Chew the Metal and it is uh it's a primarily a rock and metal sort of commentary podcast that I co-host um with, with my friend Kyle and we've been doing it for just over two years now. Um, We're just coming up to our 100th episode, which is very, very exciting. Um, And basically, the, the general structure is that we have a big spreadsheet with a load of albums by a ton of artists. Some are albums that we both know that we love, and some are bands and artists that we've never listened to before, but we feel like oh maybe that's someone we should give a go to or or we've had recommendations and we just use a random number generator to 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 tell us what album we're going to be listening to for the next episode uh so that that side of it is pretty exciting because obviously you have no idea what you're going to be doing on the on the next one and then we give ourselves some time to to listen to the album a number of times to do some research into the the production and the uh, you know how well it did on release and and then we just sort of chat through the songs and we 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 decide at the end whether it goes in our hall of fame or not which is completely arbitrary but it's <laughs> you know it, it's a good sort of measure to have at the end of the show and and then we pick certain songs and we we curate a playlist that goes along with each season so you can sort of listen along to that and it tells the story of of how we enjoyed that season's albums
1: Jeez du coming up on your hundredth episode, does it feel yeah. like you've done a hundred episodes or does it, you know, has it flown by? Um, yeah, I I
9: think I'm quite surprised that it's it's become a hundred. I mean it's because it's been over two years, it's sort of just part of our routine now and it's I can't really imagine not doing it whenever we do a little break for, for whatever reason, you know, if, if one of us needs some time off. It it definitely feels weird not doing it. But yeah, it it's it's strange that I mean, this week we recorded our 99th episode and it's it, it was strange saying episode 99, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Jeez. And you touched on something there, actually, how much you miss it when you're not doing it. That's something I've noticed as well when I've taken breaks. It's like, you know, you try not to think of it for a few days, but it's like almost you're craving it or it's like something major in your life is actually missing when you're not doing it.
9: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's sort of I mean, for us at least we started the podcast during the the very first COVID lockdown um as a way to still sort of keep our friendship going because we were living in two different cities in in the UK. Uh, so obviously we couldn't see each other. So we we did it as a we're both big music fans, so we just thought right, well, let's let's try this and it means we can discover some new stuff and it means we make sure we chat weekly you know um and you know yeah as, as a as a result of that because it is this weekly thing it becomes part of your routine and your your structure and yeah then then when you don't do it for a week or two you think obviously it's one part of you is sort of like oh I i can listen to whatever i like i don't have to listen <laughs> to a certain album but at the same time it's like oh, well, what
1: do I do now? What, what did I used to do before I did this? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. And one of the best things about it is, you know, the banter between you two. It really comes across that you're really good friends and you're just, you know, sitting back having a laugh, enjoying the music. But as well, one thing I that stands out straight away is the amount of knowledge you guys have. I mean, when I listened to the first episode, I was like, yeah, I'm glad I'm sticking to concerts because I'd never be able to retain so much information about an album.
9: Well, I mean, that's very kind of you to say, of course, it's 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 down to weekly research that that is not our you know <laughs> base knowledge. If you were to pick an album now, there is like a random one. There is absolutely no way I could tell you in as much detail as we do in an, in an episode. But um, yeah, I mean, we we both have a big passion for music, which is why we decided to do that topic and and similar tastes as well which helps and we're both music players as well so I, I think that gives it an interesting insight because we can not only talk about it as fans but we can talk about it as as people who play instruments and things like that so uh yeah so that along with doing a, a ton of research and reading what we can i think gives us a good insight
1: and does a common in handy in uh General knowledge quizzes, like do you retain much of the information? Like, if I was to say to you, episode ten, tell me a few things about the album that you discussed, would you be able to, or is it once the episode is <laughs> over, you wipe clean? Um,
9: I would say, unfortunately, probably most of it um, disappears <laughs> over time. <laughs> um, I, I can with. I mean, I'm I'm quite like strange with numbers and, and retaining certain information like that. So I, I can tell you that episode 10 was never mind by Nirvana because that was a, obviously a big one that stuck out. Um, but yeah, I I think we we had a little game a few weeks ago on our sort of second birthday as a podcast where uh, Kyle had a, a list of band members and I had to try and remember which bands they were from. And, you know, we were talking, <laughs> you know, months and months had passed, but we managed to remember a lot of them actually. Uh,
1: so, if there was a top album for you then, out of the ones mm-hmm. you've covered, which one is it? Out of everything we've covered,
9: uh, well, that's that's hopefully an easy one to answer because at the end of each year we try and make our top tens of the ones we've talked about. So the two years that we've covered so far, my my two top number one albums have been Paranoid by Black Sabbath, and the blackening by Machine Head, uh, and I would say Paranoid by Black Sabbath because, I mean, they they're obviously the the creators of the heavy metal genre. Uh, so you know, there's huge props to them for that. And I think it's it's so easy to to say albums like that are incredible and classic because they have that influence. But if you actually sit down and listen to the album Paranoid it is just a perfect perfect album it's yeah. just incredible and you know yeah it's it's got the prestige of the singles but just as an album it's i can't i can't fault it at all
1: yeah yeah you're definitely right there and the future where would you like the podcast to go or what would you what would you hope would happen with the podcast oh goodness
9: um <laughs> well i would definitely like to keep it on a, a similar path to to how we're doing at the moment. I think we're looking to get a lot more guests involved in the show. So we get some new perspectives and some new suggestions for albums. So that's something we're looking to do this year. Um, we, we've had guests in the past, but I think we're looking to really ramp that up because it's always fun when you get given an album by someone else, then, you know, if someone else comes to you and say, this is, my favorite band or this is my favorite album and it's not someone you've listened to, you now get to say, Oh, okay. What is it about this album or what is it about this artist that this person really, really connects with? And that, and that's, that's something that has really sort of given us a great perspective. Um, and I'm not too sure. I think, I think that's the, that's the main goal. Um, I think doing some live shows would be fun, but, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure at the moment. I think that would be the main thing.
1: The uh, the live shows always seem to be a thing with, with podcasts, don't I? I know even mm-hmm. it's crossed my mind and I've had a couple of listeners say that they'd love to see a, a live show of my podcast. But I'm always constantly kind of thinking there's so much logistics with it and how would you actually yeah. get it to work? You know, it sounds like yeah, it would be a hell of a lot of fun, but it'd be an awful lot of work. You know, it wouldn't be just like uh, producing your weekly episode. Not at all.
9: Not at all. And I, and I think if you were to do a live one, then uh, you, you've you always got to think about like, you've got to do something special for it, you know, and, yeah. and just just coming up with that special concept for it is, uh, is a thing in itself. I mean, we've been racking our brains for the, the past few weeks trying to figure out what we're going to do special for our 100th episode. <laughs> it's just, you know, how do you how do you mark that by doing exactly what you always do, but with a with a special twist on it, it's it's tricky.
1: You're very welcome to concerts that made us.
10: Thank you so much.
1: So we kicked off the episode with your song Fierce Rivals. Would you like to tell us a bit about it?
11: Maybe um, I think Kenny, Kenny is probably the better
10: one to chat about Fierce Rivals. Um. <laughs> yeah,
11: well,
10: that, it's, it's funny because that's actually the, the one track that that wasn't quite ready when we went into studio to record the first EP. I had written a you know, set of material um, during the height of lockdown period and fast forward to us being an established band, you know, a year and a half later, we went into studio with three fully completed songs and one like half half complete song. And um, I wasn't convinced that it, it you know, was ready or even should have been considered for the EP. And it was actually our drummer that like really just pushed and said, no, we have to, we have to do it. We 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 have to have this track on and we we have to have four tracks on the EP. And he actually came up with I think it was two extra drum parts that he just like threw into 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 the mix. I don't know where like he he, he conceived that from, but he he literally just started playing parts and out came this drum track and I just wrote like two extra riffs for the to uh, empty drum parts and then out came the song and yeah we just we we, we wrote the, the the chorus vocals in studio as well the the lyrics for the song had been written by Jason previously the kind of concept of the song is this this constant battle like personal battle between like good and evil like the angel on the one shoulder and the demon on, on the other shoulder and you kind of this vessel that's being pulled between the two. Uh, so, you know, this Good and Evil is kind of fierce rivals at each other. Yeah, that, that track was actually, I mean, half of it was like completed in, in the studio. And I think it's probably one of our strongest, if not strongest song in terms of, I suppose, general appeal and commercial appeal. I think it's... You know,
11: the, I think for Kenny's right from the commercial standpoint, it's definitely a task. Uh, Nice beats to it, so uh, so I think everyone enjoys the beats. The, the guitar is so very heavy, also, and it's got some clean vocals in there in the mix. So I think you yeah, know from the commercial standpoint, it's always interesting to me when you go into studio um, and you have maybe six songs or four songs or five songs ready to go, and the one that that's not quite ready to go <laughs> ends, when it comes to ends up ends with with just uh, you know it's brainstorming in studio. Uh, something great comes up you know so um so, so, so that seems to happen
1: quite often you know it's funny how things like that happen though I even noticed with the with the podcast there's been episodes where like there's been technical difficulties or maybe in the moment I didn't feel like it was a great conversation even but then that episode goes on to like do better than other episodes it's kind of funny the way those things work out
10: yeah, there's something about like having to, to like immediately find like something natural in either the conversation to your point or you know, in music, like all of a sudden when something like really comes up organically or, or naturally, it tends to be really good uh, as opposed to something that's forced and like, you know, I didn't want to, back to the point of that song, I didn't want to go sit down and write, you know, this, or complete the song because it felt forced. And so when the drummer actually said, "Well, here's here's the beat," he you know, lays it down, and then like everything just came naturally from that. So I think there's something that just goes to show, like the more organic, the better.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And the song it really does rock. It's uh, you know, it's one of them ones that when it comes on, it's like you've heard it before almost. It just clicks with you, and you're like, "Yeah, this is oh, that's awesome." Great, man. you know. Yeah, and cool. It's off your EP, Enter the Cosmic. What was the process like with that from conception all
10: the way up to release? Yeah, look, I think, um, again, it was, I think it was more of a personal journey uh, for, for me personally when, when writing that material. So initially, this wasn't intended to be a full band. Um, I, I think just maybe to, to keep some sanity and to use all of the, you know, forced, confined time we had during the lockdown period Used it as a channel of outlet. And, you know, I enjoyed writing so much that I, I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a solo project of it and eventually take the material to studio and, you know, release it under whatever pseudonym or alias, you know, I, I would decide on, on that time. But it wasn't until um, I actually reconnected with our vocalist, Jason. Um, and said, let's let's do a single together because your voice is perfect for this this type of music. Um, And yeah, we did the single together, got a session drummer on board. Um, I doubled down on on bass and guitars and out came this product, which just sounded incredible. And I think in that moment I realized and Jason also knew that like, it could be something uh, more permanent and could be a full-fledged band. And we, we obviously set about finding the right people uh, Rob Robbie in. Funny enough, I was soundboarding a lot of these riffs and ideas to him on WhatsApp, like, because he knew about this, this thing I was working on just, you know, as a personal project. But this guy is probably the biggest metalhead I know, um, <laughs> and listens to, to literally every metal band known to man. So, I, I knew he was the right guy to soundboard like riff ideas and stuff. And I'm like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And so when I eventually approached him and roped him in onto the base, it wasn't unfamiliar to him and he kind of knew what he was getting into, which was awesome. But I think the the concept of, of enter the cosmic, when we speak of cosmos, it's not necessarily like space and, and time only. It's also like a metaphysical uh, metaphor. Uh, you know, the, the cosmic can also be something that's that's beyond understanding or you know behind uh, uh, beyond like human conception and so the themes of the song speak to things that are beyond our understanding. you know so there's fierce rivals like I spoke about this kind of push and pull between good and evil which is something completely metaphysical and some in the Reaper is about you know the uncomfortable reality and facing of death. Shark attack is a little bit more political. speaks to you know speaks to current state of affairs from from a political point of view and our leaders that are you know metaphorical sharks that just kind of attack us. And night terror, I think, is something that it it's literally speaks about you know kind of horror in dreams. Uh, and and I don't know if you've ever had a night terror, but there's quite a few scary concepts um, you know that that kind of sit within that. Within that um, experience, and yeah, I think the song kind of kind of speaks to that and tries to make sense of it because, again, it's like a phenomenon. So I guess that's that's where it came from. Like a lot of the 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 songs and the themes are are really rooted in just being human and and experiences and concepts that are completely beyond our understanding, but yet we are still faced to you know, or or expected to face it and have to to deal with it, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And I have to ask, since you mentioned you were bouncing the ideas off of Robbie, were you kind of sitting back waiting for your moment to be asked to join the (laughs) band or how did that work out?
11: Listen, me and uh, Kenny actually played in a band together before before, uh, Kenny started Doom Trigger. Um, so we know each other very well and um, obviously having performed live together we understand our each other's minds you know so um so just from the from the base of it uh i think he he could get an honest opinion if he's going to send me uh, some stuff which I obviously he was looking for um and then you know from the band perspective i think um you know, I'm definitely not the most <laughs> talented music, let me put it that way. <laughs> I music well. Um, I have some performance skill, if I can put it that way. So the additional vocals, I think, that I could add, uh, along with the bass, may have been the trigger for the ask at the end of the day, uh, because I can do the cleans and the gutturals and the lows and the high screams. So I think, um, I think from that standpoint, it could have turned... Into an edge, you know, uh, for them. So, uh, so I think that's maybe where the Austin came from. You
1: know. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code Concerts, and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey! Hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on.
7: We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.